You're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast by Sam and Brian Dostal. Everything sports, all the time. And the dream season is now complete. The Golden State Warriors are the 2015 NBA champions. Their first title in 40 years. And how sweet it must be for those crazy loyal Bay Area fans. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen. It's a championship podcast for you today. The Sports Brothers Podcast with Brian and Sam Dotzler. As in the last... What, 48 hours or so, Sam, we've had two champions be crowned. The Stanley Cup Final taken home by the Chicago Blackhawks on Monday, defeating Tampa Lightning 2 to nothing in Game 6. And then Tuesday night, the Golden State Warriors defeat LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers in six games, and they get their first NBA title since 1975. And I sit here on this Wednesday night, and I don't know what to do with myself. It's like right. You, you, it's like you're missing something. Yeah, the baseball games are on, and we always flip to them and watch them. But it's just like for the last two months, there's been playoff games pretty much every day, whether it be hockey or NBA. And now we got really nothing. But we do have some things, of course, today in the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about the NBA Finals. Uh, I actually, or we actually, brought in Damon Gray. As, as some of you probably realize. We're not very uh, good hockey savvy, me and uh, Sam and I aren't. So, Damon Gray. Shout out to Dominic Tolada for pointing that out. Yep, appreciate that. <laughs> um, uh, so, Damon, great friend of mine, will be a roommate next year at Eastern Connecticut State University, uh, the director of broadcasting. Had an interview with him yesterday, about 15 minutes long, just where we wanted it. So, he has much, much, much more in depth uh, about the Stanley Cup final. Uh, and then it's going to be. Let's see, Brian's Confessions Corner, hasn't. it's been a while, uh, but the UConn football, I'll uh, get to that when that happens, uh, and then we're going to do MLB All-Star Game, and how the, how the heck have the Kansas City Royals gotten all nine of their starters uh, in, into the starting lineup for that one is just, is just beyond me, uh, and then we'll talk about the U.S. Open, no stump the bro today, unfortunately, uh, and, and please keep in mind, and I know that when I interviewed Damon, it says that this podcast is Thursday. Well, technically, this is a Wednesday podcast. Technically, today is June 17th, Wednesday. We're going to put this up on Thursday. But due to our Sam and I's crazy schedules, uh, we just felt that Wednesday at 10, 10 p.m. would be the best time to do it. Why not? Why not, Whatever. right? YOLO. Right? Just like you said, there's no playoff game, so why not just do a podcast? Yeah, it's not like we're missing anything. That's Especially true. not with the Red Sox game or the Mets. Or the Mets, yeah. Or the College World Series baseball game. So, why not talk about sports? Let's do it. All right, so first off, Sam, NBA Finals. Uh, just mentioned it, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, first NBA championship since, since 1975, so it's been 40 years for that title drought. But let's first talk about Andre Iguodala, the MVP of the series. I was all for it. Really, after Game 4, or during Game 4, I was saying, this guy, if he keeps playing this level... She was the MVP, and he got the award. Yeah, and I, w- I was surprised about the backlash as far as Andre Iguodala getting the award. Double figures, uh, for the most part, had a really good series, and he really was the difference maker uh, in the series for this Golden State team. They really struggled until they inserted them in the starting lineup, and not only did he score and, and score at a high rate for the remaining games of the series – games four, five, and six, but he completely changed what Cleveland wanted to do. Cleveland was never comfortable on the floor after Iguodala got extended minutes. They didn't know what to do as far as matchups go. And you're talking about... I mean, they, they, they sat Mozgov because of it. Yeah. They... they his his play completely changed the game plan of the Cavaliers, as you mentioned. And how about Iguodala? This is a guy that's been the guy pretty much his entire career. He was in Philadelphia for so many years, and, and he was you know he was their go-to scorer. He had around 20 points. Uh, now he comes over to Golden State. He doesn't start one game all year. so He had started he, every game of his career uh, prior yeah. to this season. But first start of the season comes in, I think it was game 102 for the Warriors, in game three of the NBA Finals, Game 4, excuse me, uh, of the NBA Finals, and he delivers, and his reward is the most valuable player of the NBA Finals. Yeah, and 
and he deserved it. I know a lot of people are calling for Steph Curry, and yeah, Steph Curry had had his moments, but yeah, it just I think it was Iguodala who made the difference in the series, and it forced Cleveland to do something they weren't comfortable comfortable doing, and that was guard five really athletic players. They just couldn't match up with it. They just couldn't. And it, it changed the complexion of the series once that move was made. It was quite amazing. Really. I mean, I know I mentioned it, but Mozgov, who was their second-best player the entire series, coming off a 28-10 and 10 game, plays nine minutes in game number five. He's rendered they, – they decided they just went without him. And great, yeah, they were into the, in the game late, but your second-best player in the series, all of a sudden, boom, on the bench, gone because of Iguodala. I'll go first, and uh, let's grade David Blatt's first season as a Cleveland Cavalier uh, head coach. I mean, this is – look, I I said this guy wasn't getting enough credit because when you deal with injuries to Anderson Varejao, to Kevin Love, to Kyrie Irving, it's very, very tough to uh, keep winning games like he has. But when you have moments like when you're trying to call a timeout against against the Chicago Bulls when you have no timeouts, when you make a move like this by not playing Mozgov, it's it's hard. It's just hard to say that he did that great of a job. I know it, it is. And um, listening to the Dan Patrick show today, and they were talking about how it looked like LeBron made a substitution on his own at one point, putting Tristan Thompson back in the game. Uh, and obviously, and, and just listening to people talk around the game of basketball, it doesn't seem like they're that they, they, encouraged they're, 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 by, they, yeah, they weren't that by, by what David Blatt has done. And, and it's head-scratching to me because he was so successful uh, overseas, was was a, an excellent coach. Uh, for multiple teams uh, overseas. And, yeah, there's an adjustment period, but that, there's some common things, whether you're you're playing wherever overseas or in America, that it's the same thing. I mean, you can't call a timeout when you have no timeouts remaining. It's one thing when the player forgets on the floor, but the coach, the coach can't forget. Absolutely uh, not. It's one thing, uh, whether you're playing over there or here, you're going to give a guy like LeBron James or whoever your A player is the shot at the end of the game. Did you think that LeBron James should have gotten the MVP? No. You thought it should have been Steph Curry? Uh, no, I agree with Iguodala. You did? You did yeah. agree with Iguodala? Okay. Even uh, though he <laughs> couldn't hit a free throw. Did you, I know. That was very surprising. And he's, he's, he's over 70% for his career. 71%. Yeah. Um, do you, did you hear the voting count for the, MV, for the MVP? Yeah. I was hoping you didn't, but oh, for those of you okay. that didn't hear it. No. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> for those of you that didn't hear it, pretty interesting uh, in, in, in the eyes of some. Andre Iguodala, there's 11 voters uh, that do that vote for the NBA Finals MVP every year. Seven votes went to Andre Iguodala. Four votes went to LeBron James. So if you do that quick math, seven plus four is 11. That's all 11 votes. No votes went to Steph Curry. Now, Steph Curry, he had some great fourth quarters. He really did. And, you know, he came and, and he struggled in, in that game three, just three of, or five of 23, uh, two of 15 from, from behind the arc. But in game four, nope, game three. I'm getting confused with the games here. But game three, it was a Warriors loss. It was their last loss of the season, it turned out. But he scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, really got things going. But, Sam, some people were surprised that he didn't get that uh, MVP. Uh yeah, some people were surprised. I'm surprised he didn't get a vote. Me too. Um, I don't think he should have been the MVP just because of, of what I was saying about how much uh, Iguodala changed what happened on the floor. It like I was saying, not to get too far into it, but he just completely changed the whole attack by Cleveland. Uh, yeah, and and even when Mozgov was in there, they couldn't match up with them all that well. So I, I think, uh, yeah, Curry put up some impressive numbers, but when you look beyond the numbers a bit, and uh, people were citing his defense, I mean, it is what it is when you're guarding LeBron James. Um, but LeBron had a tough fourth quarter in games number six, and then Iguodala to me was the biggest part in this series. He just changed it. Sound like a broken record, but he did. 
And let's not forget about Draymond Green, the Michigan State guy. Triple-double in game six, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Kind of the forgotten guy saying this is another guy early on this series, especially when the Warriors went down 2-1, to one, where it was just like, Draymond Green, you need to step up. Oh, he, he was doing nothing. Yeah, he, he, he himself was telling to, to uh, the media, saying he needs to, to, be, to play better, and he has that triple-double in game six. And, and you knew you had a sense that he was starting to turn it around in game five. He hit that three early in the game from the top of the key. And the ABC was going to commercial break, and you could read his lips. He was saying, I'm back, I'm back. And, boy, was he ever uh, huge the last three games of that series. When he can or shoot two the, games, I When he say. can shoot the three ball, that's when he can be really dangerous. Because you know he's going to finish around the rim. He's, you know he's going to get some rebounds. But when he can hit that outside jumper, that's when he Well, and he, he he's so lost confidence in that three-pointer uh, late in game number three when Golden State was trying to make their run. I don't know if you remember this play, Brian, but Curry drove into the lane and did a behind-the-back pass to the three-point no line. There. Yeah. And I don't know, this is just me, but it was where Draymond Green had been struggling and struggling. So instead of being where he would have been all year long, hanging around that three-point line, he was going to the basket because he wasn't comfortable taking that three-pointer. That's That's just what I think about that situation. Uh, and then you look at the three-pointer he hit at the top of the key in game number five. Uh, he was where he had been all year, and he knocked it down. Uh, some Something I, I heard interesting today, I think it was it was uh, Tom Thibodeau who pointed it out on Mike and Mike. Uh, J.R. Smith, Iman Shuppert, 29% from the floor combined in the series. You can't do that. And those two guys were much, and, much better early on in this postseason. And th- this is a Cleveland team that, despite the fact that they lost three straight, they were in these games for the most part uh game four not so much but game five they were yep. certainly in it at yep. the end uh and if these guys are hitting their shots then they're probably not out of it the way they were in the other games yeah already uh vegas has uh the cleveland Cavaliers as a heavy as a as a favorite to win the 2016 may final and the nba championship and you can't blame them i mean this is a team sam where lebron james it's LeBron James and everybody else. It's LeBron James, and he has who, – who's he looking to? He doesn't have a Kyrie Irving. He, he doesn't have Kevin Love. It's a big difference. And assuming, of course, injuries could happen again, not saying it won't, but if these if these two other guys are there next year, fully healthy, playing their full capability, this is a very, very dangerous yeah, team next year. it is. and Especially in the Eastern Conference. Oh, yeah. And, and remember, going back to the David Black conversation, you have to give them some credit, though. They were a 19-20 and 20 team at one point. Yeah, yeah. See, it, it's it's like my emotions with him kind of going up and down because I, was, I gave him a lot of credit, right? It's not easy to just, first of all, he came over before LeBron James was even on the Cleveland Cavaliers. So his expectations went, whoop, went uh, skyrocket once LeBron came back to Cleveland. But it just seems like in the defining moments of the season, he wasn't all there. And we mentioned with the timeout, Sidney Mozgov, it just seemed like he wasn't making – his his mind wasn't clear. I don't yeah. know. But let's talk about Steve Kerr, right, the winning coach. Uh, first rookie to win an NBA championship since the 90s when Pat Riley did it. Uh, so Steve Kerr, great analyst. I miss him as an analyst. Gets to hear him on 2K. But uh, <laughs> I wonder if he's going to be in 2K16. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Um but really, I love Steve Kerr. I think he's a great guy, and uh, he was hey he was put in a, in a good situation with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. Oh, he certainly was. It's not like he went to Philadelphia and turned this. I mean, he 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 did go to a pretty good, pretty good team. One of the callers on the Dan Patrick show today goes. So essentially, Mark Jackson and and Steve Kerr switched jobs for a year. Pretty much, yeah. It was a job switch. Obviously, Kerr with TNT and Jackson with yep. ESPN. Uh, and I think, and from what I what people were saying today, Kerr was respectful to Mark Jackson. He knew he won it with, with his guys, and he just took them to the next level. But, yeah, I mean, for a guy who never co- coached any level of basketball in his life to come in and take a team that had been – they've been good. They, they had some – you know, they, they had that upstart year where they went to the semis. Uh, but it, since then, they hadn't done much as far as the playoffs go. They had been winning somewhere in the 50s for games. But you never saw that unit as this sort of team. You didn't think the pieces that they had there were going to make this leap. And 
he made him make that leap. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, he just took them to another level. And you could see it, re- I mean, really early in the season, you could see they were a different team. And I still, to this day, don't think they get enough credit for being as good as they were. Really? Yeah, I, I still think people look at them and, and think, I don't know, maybe because it's their Golden State and they've been historically so bad for so long, but I still don't think that they get the credit they deserve. Interesting, coming from the from the, from the world champs. What? Hmm? Or the, the champs, the NBA champs. What does that have to do with them? It's people talking. Yeah, but you, whatever, whatever. All right, so now uh, we're done talking NBA. I talked, I chatted with Damon NBA Gurr- draft, though, next week. NBA drafts, that's very exciting. Um, yeah, so I talked to Damon Gray a couple days ago. Here are his thoughts on the Stanley Cup final, which we saw the Chicago Blackhawks win their third NHL, their Stanley Cup final last six years. They've waited a long time for this to be at home. Slipped in front and Crawford another block. Five to go. For the third time in six years, the Blackhawks are Stanley Cup champions. We are now joined with Damon Gray, the director of broadcasting at Eastern Connecticut State University and a big hockey enthusiast as he watched all six games of the 2015 Stanley Cup Final. Damon, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? Doing great. just want to also say that you are the very, very first audio guest of the Sports Brothers podcast. So this is a, uh, a landmark not only for the Sports Brothers, but for you because it's certainly a privilege to, uh, to be that first audio guest. Well, I'm honored, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right. So just last night, this is being recorded on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it says the 16th, June 16th. Our podcast, as you know, isn't going to be out until Thursday the 18th. So we're getting day after thoughts from Damon Gray on the Stanley Cup final, of course, last night on Monday, June 15th. Chicago Blackhawks defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning 2 to nothing to get their third Stanley Cup final last six years. Damon First of all, what are your overall thoughts of the series? Well, you know, it was a really fun series. There was a lot of hard hitting. We saw a couple great goals, some that were could be nominated for a goal of the year, especially you talk about the first goal of the entire Stanley Cup uh, final. That was awesome. Uh, but it was a little disappointing, I guess, for the casual sports fan, the non-hockey fan, to probably tune in and, not see a score of four to three every single game, which, you know, is to be expected. But in terms of the competitiveness and the intensity that the Stanley Cup playoffs always give us, that's always there. And that was clearly there this year as basically every single game but the last one ended by just a one goal difference. Talk about Conn Smythe winner Duncan Keith from the Chicago Blackhawks. He pretty much did everything for this team throughout the playoffs. He had 21 postseason points which was tied for most for any defensive men over the, over the last 20 years in the postseason. And he logged the fourth heaviest amount of minutes, uh, 715 and 37 seconds since that stat became official, 1998. So he was on the ice early and often. Yeah, and that's to be expected, especially from your leader on the defensive end. They always get the most minutes throughout the game. But Duncan Keith is, if not the best defenseman in the league, top three defensemen in the entire league. Uh, him joined alongside with Brent Seabrook. I mean, th- those two are nearly unstoppable on the defensive end, and he did a fantastic job shutting down the lightning attack. And that's something that was a big question going into the series. Could this Chicago defense handle the best attacking team in the NHL this late in the year when everybody's tired, everybody's hurt? And it really looked like he did. And just to put the cherry on top, he ended up getting the game-winning goal in Game 6 to clinch the trophy. You already kind of mentioned this, but how were the Blackhawks able to slow down this lightning offense? Of course, you mentioned scored tons of goals. They had the most goals uh, during the natural regular season. And somehow, someway, this Blackhawks defense, led by Duncan Keith, was able to uh, only allow two goals for in the last three games for the Lightning. Well, yeah, this could be a, kind of split into a couple sections. One, it's just the way that Tampa plays their offense. They come out hard, they come out fast, and they put a lot of their energy into that first period. 
if they get nothing out of that, then they probably won't get much throughout the rest of the game. I mean, for anybody who just saw game one itself, it was all Tampa Bay in game one of the first period, and they only got one goal out of it. And that pretty much summed up the entire series. They started to just get tired. Uh, Coach Cooper at the end of the game said they just ran out of gas, and I think that's the best way to put it. The team physically just ran out of gas. And, I mean, when you compile that on top of the very physical defense that Chicago plays, it's really hard to continue to push yourself this late in the season. This is Damon Gray joining the Sports Brothers podcast. Damon is the director of broadcasting at Eastern Connecticut State University and also a production intern with the Connecticut Sun. Damon mentioned as we were starting that Blackhawks have won three of the last six Stanley Cup finals. Is this team a dynasty? That is a question that I've been going on through my head for, I don't know, the past 12 hours thinking if Chicago didn't win, would it be a dynasty? And my first initial reaction was, yes, of course, three in six years, that's, that's a dynasty. But then you kind of look back and you're like, well, how far did they make it between those years? Well, last year they made it to game seven at the conference final. And you're saying, all right, well, that's pretty good. But the other two years, they only made it to the first round and they lost. First one was the Vancouver. The next one was the Phoenix. And it's really difficult, especially when you're thinking about dynasties, specifically in the NHL, because when you think about dynasties in other sports, you kind of have a prolonged years between when they won it. I mean, for the exception of the Yankees in the 90s, because they just kind of felt like they won it every single year. But when you think about the last real dynasty in the NHL, it's the Islanders when they won four straight. And then before that, it was the Canadiens when they won four straight. And that was the Canadiens in the mid to late 70s and the Islanders in the early to approaching mid 80s. Other than that, you think about the Detroit Red Wings in the late 90s and early 2000s. Is that a dynasty or is that just a really, really, really good team? And that's where it starts to get a little of the gray zone, especially in the NHL when you have competition like the Islanders who won the four straight and Canadians who won the four straight. So is this a dynasty? It's still tough to say my initial reaction was yes, but I'm starting to lean on maybe not just yet. Okay, let me and, rephrase the question a little bit. Is this a modern-day dynasty? Because you, if you look at some of the dynasties in the last 10, 12 years, you got the San Francisco Giants. They've won three of the last five World Series. you got the New England Patriots, of course, back in, in the early uh, 2000s. They won three out of four. So, may, you know, of course, as you said, it's not the same as the Yankees in the 90s when it seems like they win every year, or the Canadians or teams like that that are constantly winning every year. Uh, but you, you did mention this team did make the playoffs. They, they made it to the conference finals last year. Uh, so so I, I personally think that this is a dynasty. Uh, if you but win. But you just, I mean, you mentioned yourself and said, is this a modern day dynasty? Well, why are we now trying to make it so everything's a dynasty? Why can't we just say, well, this is what a dynasty is? And now we're trying to make it into something that so, it may not so then be what's just the, to say so that then, it is something. So then what do you think is the true definition of the, of the term dynasty? A dynasty is a team that constantly competes for the championship every single year within a certain era. And yes, Chicago has made it extremely competitive throughout the past six years. I don't know, especially since they only made it to the first round where they lost to Vancouver and then Phoenix the year after. That Phoenix loss, it's still just it's weird to me because they should have beaten that team. So I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because when I think Dynasty, I think Islanders and Canadiens when they just won four straight. And I can't put them in the same boat as those teams yet just because there was a year, at least a year gap in between each victory. So you're saying it has to be consecutive? I think if it's consecutive, you put a really good case on yourself. And if it's not, it makes it very difficult. All right, because, quick, I mean, quick yes or no question. Are the Giants, San Francisco Giants, a dynasty? Because they, because by your definition, they shouldn't be because they didn't make the playoffs in two years that they didn't win the World Series. Unfortunately, because I'm going to stick to my guns on this, I'm going to say no. There we go. All right. Yeah, for those of you, uh, this is our first ever Skype interview as well. Uh, so this is very exciting. The Sports Brothers is really, uh, 
you know, turning up the technology and Damon just messing around with the Skype. So, all right, now, Damon, now it's the Tampa Lightning side. After yesterday's loss, after game six, Captain Steve Stamkos, he took 100% blame for the Stanley Cup loss for his team. He was unable to score one goal after uh, having the second most goals in the regular season with 43. Um, yeah, I mean, Stamkos is one heck of a player. And I give him a lot of credit for saying he's taking 100% of the blame because I won't even put 100% of the blame on him. I'll put 90% of the blame on him. 90%. And the other 10% honestly goes to Tyler Johnson because I didn't see too much of him either just specifically the series. I know Tyler Johnson was hurt. I know the entire team was hurt. But everybody is hurt this late. And when you're... Being relied on him, even Steven Stamkos, I mean, he didn't score one goal. So that's why I'm putting 90 on him. But the other 10% is on Tyler Johnson, really just because I didn't see too much of him in the series. You're not going to put any any, uh, blame on Ben Bishop, who just announced yesterday that, yeah, I think you forgot about him. He just announced. No, the reason I I won't specifically on Bishop is because everybody is hurt, and he went out there and played through – one of the most painful injuries that you can go through and still be able to play. I played baseball with a pulled groin, and I could barely move. You can't move with God, a pulled groin. God, you're a groin. tough cookie. <laughs> you can't, honest to God, Brian, you cannot move with a pulled groin. And the fact that you're thinking of a goalie who has to make splits, skate for crying out loud, pulling with a pulled groin blows my mind. He made some amazing saves and keeping a Chicago offense that is consisted of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Sharp, Marion Hosa, big, big offensive names. And he kept them to two goals. That's on the offense right there. If you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan and you hear the news that what, 12 hours after you lose the Stanley Cup final, and you hear that he had a torn groin throughout this entire series. Are you upset that he didn't come out? No, not at all. Everybody's hurt, Brian. Every single player has something I understand that, but I mean, I mean it's not like of, he did. Look, just look at it a couple years ago. Patrice Bergeron played with a punctured lung, two broken ribs. I understand the whole hockey mantra. I, under, I understand that. No one for any sport is fully healthy 100%. You know, by October for baseball or by February for the Super Bowl or June for basketball or the NHL. But there's to a point, I think, especially as a goalie, when, you know, you're the guy that has to stop the puck for uh, for full three periods for six or seven games where the series is. He's six foot seven. He's a big man. He's a guy that they go to. The only reason he wasn't able to play, uh, I believe it was game three, was just because he physically could not go out there the rest of the days they gave him that one game arrest and he was at least able to go out there you have to give it to the guy that you put trust in the entire year and that's just how it works which team is most likely to get back to the Stanley Cup final next season the Lightning or the Blackhawks now before we went on air you just said that the Blackhawks are what 23 guys that have expiring contracts so that's a ton <laughs> That is a ton of guys. And given that is also that is through their entire system, that's from the NHL level to the AHL level. So I'm just making sure everybody knows that. But that is a ton of players. And that is the biggest question for the Chicago Blackhawks team going forward. They put everything they had into this season. This was probably their last season where they said, we're going to be able to honestly say we're competing for the Stanley Cup, maybe for another year or two. Just because they, they have 23 guys in the entire system. 23. Okay? And then you're saying, okay, well, how much money do they have to play with? Well, next year, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tay's new contracts go into effect. Each of them are making $10.5 million a year. So two guys taking up $21 million out of a $69 million salary cap. What about the Lightning? The Lightning, they have a lot of guys returning. They're a very young team. Their only concern going forward, honestly, is just re-signing Steven Stamkos because he's still on contract for next year. But it's the years after. That's really their biggest concern. But Chicago is just really interesting right now. I'm always interested with these teams that really have to play around this new salary cap because everybody expected that the salary cap is going to jump up to $71 million. 
for the 2015-2016 season, but instead it went from what was it? Uh, Sixty-eight million dollars to sixty-nine. So it really, only went up sixty-four thousand dollars within that time. It went up nothing. So Chicago's going to have a lot of playing around to do. I drew out the lines right here. In a hockey man, for a hockey team, you really should have four lines offensively, Brian. All right, each line consists of three forwards. All right, Kobe. they only have two and two thirds lines filled right now. Okay. Defensively, you should have three defensive lines consisted of two guys each. Mm-hmm. Ha- three out of the six spots are empty. They well, have one, but- two, three, four, five, six, seven spots they have to fill with $4 million to play with, plus have a team on the AHL level. So it is guaranteed that somebody is going to be traded in Chicago. A lot of rumor is that it's going to be Patrick Sharp, who has a pretty whopping $5.9 million contract. But Chicago right next year, they may not be there. So that's why I'm, I'm saying so much of this is because it's Tampa Bay logistically just has the best chance. Between, yeah, between the two teams. All right, we'll get you out on this one. For all Eastern Connecticut Athletic fans that are listening right now, because I know there's a bunch of them, there's hundreds, uh, as the director <laughs> of broadcasting Eastern Connecticut, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to incorporating uh, for the broadcast next year, whether it's highlights or films or anything of that nature? Highlights is definitely a priority. I want highlights of every single game within 24 hours after the game ends. That's a goal we're setting this year. We also have a new social media intern alongside with Liam Murphy, who's our director of graphics, who will also be managing that. So we'll be pretty well-versed on our social media for next year, which I'm excited for. Um, I'm also looking forward to do a couple small features, very small ones, but mainly just showing what the teams do off the field. So whenever they have a fundraising event like that, a package of that, more, more of the off the field kind of stuff is what I'm thinking about in terms of the feature packages, but very small ones. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for taking time out of your day for this interview and appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, once again, thank you very much, Damon Gray and Sam. That was a, a big time move for us as we had our first uh, guest of the show. First audio guest, of course, Alex Dossler last year, uh, wrote an article for us about Mookie Betts uh, from Brentwood, Tennessee. But Damon did a very good job, uh, and the Skype interview went well. It did. And, well, it's a precursor of things to come, of course. I'll be yep. heading out on the road for a large amount of the summer. So uh, we will be doing some of that as the summer goes on. And also, it uh, hopefully it will allow us to keep it going while you uh, go back to uh, your little school there. Eastern Connecticut, yeah. Um, by the way, where can people, how can people listen to you on the radio when you're doing the Connecticut Tigers? Uh, well, depending on where you are, if you're in the Norwich area, you can listen on 1310 AM WICH, or uh, you can go to com. There's a Listen Live link, or uh, uh, it's on TuneIn Radio as well. So Everything's on TuneIn. That's good. It's It's easy to access. Yeah. It's a nice app to have. Kind of, kind of become the thing. You are listening to the Sports Brothers podcast with Brian and Sam Dossler, and already we talked about the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Final with Damon Gray, and uh, now we're going to be talking about the All Star Game. Uh, or actually, no, whoa, whoa, time out. My Confessions Corner. Buckle up, everybody! It is time for Brian's Confessions Corner. Almost forgot about my Confessions Corner, Sam. Well. Here's my confession this week. It's been a while since I've done one, uh, but and, and this one's kind of outdate, but it's something that I think, especially for every uh, Connecticut sport fan, that if you didn't hear about it, you definitely should have, or, or, and, and here it is now anyways. The UConn football team a few weeks ago, uh, they, they made a bold mood, bold, bold move. Uh, what they did was, and they were called out by Central Florida, was uh, they pretty much declared themselves rivals against the against the Knights, and uh, and how they did this was 
they went to it was training camp or the, the was the first day of spring practice, Sam, something like that. And they posted a picture on their Yukon on, on their uh on their Twitter page and they said hundred forty days until the civil conflict and they had a picture of a trophy with uh the the, the days, the time left until this matchup that's happening in Central Florida. Now, just to make sure you guys know, UConn and Central Florida are both in the same conference. They're both in the American Athletic Conference, so they play each other once a year. With that being said, uh, last year, UConn, who went 3-9 and nine and has been really, really, really bad the last couple of years, uh, to say the least, uh, they engraved a score on there. Uh <laughs> I think it was like a 39-21 victory or something. 39-24, I don't know. It was by far UConn's best game of the year. Uh, definite upset. It was at Rensselaer Field. It was exciting for the 3,000 fans that saw it. Uh, but <laughs> Central Florida calls them out and says, hey, we, we, had, no, we had no part in this rivalry. We, did, we had no idea that we hated each other. And let's keep in mind, folks, you don't exactly make a rivalry by calling somebody and said, hey, do you want to hate each other? You know, I don't think Auburn, Alabama got on the on on the phone and said, hey, let's hate each other on the football field and let's make a great rivalry. That doesn't happen. It happens, those things happen on the field. You know, blood's lost between the two teams or, or fights happen or, or great games happen with one each other. These two teams have played two times against each other in the history of both their programs. Central Florida, fairly new pro. Actually, UConn is two to Division One. Uh, Central Florida really is up on the uprise. They've gotten Blake Boyles in, into the NFL, a couple others, uh, the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But what UConn also d- left out was the score from two years ago, and Central Florida dismantled UConn when they went down to South Florida, or Central Florida, excuse me. So UConn is just making all these bold moves. They're, they're calling this a civil conflict. Bob Diaco, the head coach, is, is all about it. He's all fired up, and, and I get it. I get it. But again, why are you making a rivalry without letting the other team know? <laughs> I mean, the, it, the Red Sox and Yankees is not a one-sided rivalry, folks. Both teams hate each other historically. UConn, the football team, has embarrassed himself, not only on the field now, because we've seen the results, what they put up since Randy Etzel's left, but they're embarrassing themselves off the field as well now. And Sam, it's just really, really not a good situation here for UConn football. Flat out embarrassing. It makes UConn feel small time, first of all. And also, just just go American Conference. Just go. By the way, uh, I haven't seen it, but the that's new, all I have to say about. But that. the new uh, AAC men's basketball logo for the tournament came out. Oh, did it? Yeah, um, that's very exciting. So it's almost UConn basketball season, right? No, no. All right. <laughs> well, what's today? Like the eight? Today's the seventeenth. Today's the seventeenth. It could be. It's like five months away. Could be exactly five months from from first night. Which means no. Actually, like four months. Actually, October 17, 2014 was the uh, first night last year. Yeah, so uh, about four months till first night. No, five, four, four. About five months till the opening game, which means in about a month we'll be wondering why the schedule isn't out yet. I think we've learned our lesson by that. Yeah, but I still don't really remember. No, it's like October. It was like October, September, something like that. Yeah. But we started looking in like what, July? June. <laughs> God dang it, Sam. Did you check see the you guys? It's like we know the opponents, but we just wanted to see it on one nice little sheet. Yeah. And where the games are. The times. And the, times and the TV programs. We can start playing our days for, you know, for months yeah. on end. Exactly. One of the first things I do is I'll check the Eastern schedule, and, and I'll check the UConn schedule and see if there's any conflicts between games. Oh, yeah. I'll check my Central schedule. I'll cancel any plans. <laughs> cancel Christmas Eve. <laughs> If you have to, right? I mean, if you got to watch UConn CCSU, you got to do it, right? Oh, yeah. Should we move on from that? Yeah, we should. All right, so, Sam, you wanted to talk about this. The All-Star game, the Kansas City Royals, pretty much a 25-man roster is on this All-Star team. Yeah, it, it just it doesn't make sense. To the, the latest All-Star voting came out on June 15th, and eight of the nine starter position players are Kansas City Royals. And some of them are fair. Some of them, yes are good, 
you got Eric Hosmer, Omar Infante, uh, Mike Mustaskis, uh, Alcides Escobar, Kendrys Morales, Salvador Perez, and then in the outfield, Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon uh, slotted in. But eight is just a ridiculous number, and you start to go through it and look past it, and you, you just wonder. You, the first base position, I guess Hosmer could start 294, seven home runs, uh, but the guy in second place is Miguel Cabrera, 345, 15 home runs, 51 RBIs. That's a starter in the All-Star game, and he's only playing first base because, oh, no, excuse me, he doesn't DH. Victor Martinez DHs. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, and then you, He's you, hurt, though, so stop right there. I, I know, I know that, but I was thinking he usually DHs, but whatever. Uh, and then you go down a little farther, third place, Prince Fielder, 341, 10 home runs, 46 RBIs, a guy who, who who's led the league in batting at time, who was leading the league in batting at times, and uh, is having a phenomenal year, both better years than... Uh, than Eric Hosmer, who who is having a nice year. But then you go a little deeper. Second base, Omar Infante just took over the race for second base. He's batting a whopping two twenty three, no home runs, 18 RBIs, a two thirty one OBP, Bry. 231 OBP, and he's leading the second base position. The guy all the way down in fifth, Dustin Pedroia, he might be having the best year out of any second baseman. Yeah, he's playing for a bad team, but he's still hitting 307, nine home runs, 27 RBIs, playing his usual good defense. Jose Altuve, 287, uh, five home runs, 328 OBP. Uh, it, it's just mind-blowing. And, and there was an article a couple days ago in the Kansas City Star talking about... <laughs> Get this, how Kansas City needs to upgrade their second base position. And this guy might be voted into the All-Star game. Uh, some of the positions they make sense. Salvador Perez at the catcher position, yeah. Uh, Mike Moustaskis, uh, either be him or Donaldson. It probably should be Donaldson to start at third well, I think base. Donaldson, I mean, he's an MVP he's candidate. He's an MVP candidate, but Moustaskis is having a nice year. Uh, he's sitting 325, so he's among the league leaders in that category. So it's not like he's having a bad year. Uh but Donaldson is 305, 17 home runs, 45 RBIs. He's really turned that team around. Uh, the DH position, Kendrys Morales is leading 282, 7 home runs, 42 RBIs. Uh, Cruz, 310, 18 home runs among the league leaders in home runs. And then the other one that cracks me up, that just is a, a mind-blowing one, and there was an article on SB, SB Nation about this today or yesterday, um, about how the Alex Rio signing was a not a great signing for Kansas City. He's fourth in the All-Star voting. What's he hitting? Right behind his teammate, Alex Gordon, who's third. Uh, and Rios is hitting a whopping 208 with one home run and nine RBIs. And a 235 OBP. Is he Derek Jeter or something? Because that was his numbers last year. I mean, well, Jeter was better than that. Well, a little better. But it, And the only non-royal in the starting lineup, as of now, with a couple weeks left in voting, is Mike Trout. Now... I think this is something that could completely change the way that we vote. I mean, this is just ridiculous. If, I mean, you, if you're some of the guys should be in there, yes. Uh, Escobar is leading the shortstop. There's no big names in in, in the shortstop position in the AL, really. So he doesn't have the highest batting average, but he's a guy who who I don't have a problem with him starting at short. But I mean, man, Omar Infante, Alex Rios, right there. It's just. If you're the MLB commissioner, Rob Manaford, do you step in and say, hey, we can't let this happen. We can't have eight Kansas City Royals starting for an all-star team, which is supposed to be comprised of different players from different teams. Well, the thing is, you can't change it now. You can't change it this year. It has to be something that is changed for next year, for the year after. You, you can't just change it uh a couple days before, and Manford was quoted as saying, we have 16 days left, lots of years, we've worried about lot, lots of things in respect to fan voting, but in general, over over, uh, over time, fans have done a pretty good job, so we'll see how it turns out. Uh, and then he went on to say, uh, what I would hope, what I say is, I hope over time that what people come to think about the commissioner's office when we have situations such as this, this is one example that we are responsive and open to change if, in fact, it, appear, it appears we get a result that is not consistent with the goals of the system that is currently in place. So it seems like he's open to some sort of change. and uh, I think you can still have the fan vote, but weigh it percentage-wise. Well, fans, if you don't want these many Kansas City Royal players in there, you can vote. Go to MLB.com or 
or any if you can go to really any of the Twitter pages for any of the teams and you can just look around and, and follow uh, some links there and and cast your vote because clearly your vote does make a difference because either it's just a lot of bandwagon Kansas City Royal fans or or all of Kansas City is just voting for their starting nine. It's unbelievable. I mean, there must be a thing out where they're all just kind of hanging out and. Seriously, they're all at the bar or something, and they're just click, click, refresh, refresh, click, click. The Royals must have told them, send out an email to everybody. I want every Royals fan to spend 20 minutes every night just voting for us. <sighs> Man. I don't know. It's just I've never seen anything like it. Me either. All right, now it's time for Sands Back on the Radar with a little twist this week. They've been off the grid for a while, but now it's time for Sam's Back on the Radar. Yeah, we're going off the radar this week, and it's a really a fascinating story. It came across the wire a little while ago. Uh, Wee-Yen Chin, the left-handed pitcher for, well, he was with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, but not anymore. He was optioned down to uh, single A. I thought it was triple A. No. Single A? To high A ball, Bri. Wow. Yeah. All right, continue. To uh, high A ball after lowering his ERA. And this is a guy who's been in the big leagues for a little while now. And he pitched eight shutout innings the other night. And his reward was to go down to high A. His ERA is sub three. He has a two eight nine ERA, three and four on the year. Uh, his last two outings, Bry, or his la- his pitching line in the last seven days: thirteen innings, eleven hits, two runs, two walks, fourteen strikeouts, a one point three four ERA. Uh, for his career, he has a sub four ERA, and he gets sent down to uh, High A Frederick um, because of what they call general fatigue. Uh, it's so, just it's mind blowing. And Buck Walter said, "quote He understands it completely." And he understands the move, or he understands well, he the understands the move completely. But Chen would lead you to believe otherwise. Tweeting last night, "I'm in phys- excellent physical uh, shape. I feel great, and I am ready for my next start. I just pitched eight innings of shutout baseball." He then later ch- tweeted, "I'm disappointed my routine is being interrupted. I'll continue to work hard and do my best to perform." Thank you for the support. Um, and his it, next start would be against the Toronto, Toronto Blue Jays, who is the best hitting team against left-handers. Chen's a left-handed pitcher, so it would been a very good, uh, you know, p- or, uh, matchup for Chen. But um, for those for those of you that do not know uh, the reason why they may have sent him down versus the DL, because normally if you're hurt like this or if you have arm fatigue, you go on the 15-day disabled list. But when you get demoted or option to single A at this point for Chen in this case, you only have to, you don't have to, you can be down there for 10 days. So this saves a f- five days for him. Get it him does. back in that rotation and quicker. And th- they also want to give a look to Chris Parmalee, but citing general soreness doesn't fit when he just throws eight innings yeah. and then says, I'm feeling good. And of eight course, shutout innings, yeah. Of course, his agent, uh, Scott Boris, caused the decision to demote Chen. Grossly irregular. I've never seen anything like this in my 30 years of doing this. And I don't agree with a lot of stuff that Scott Boris says. Uh, I don't agree necessarily with how he handles his client situations at times. Just think Stephen Drew uh, a couple years ago. But uh, in this case, I I agree with him 100%. It's just, I don't know. It's, It's really strange. All right. Well, unfortunately for this podcast, there will be no Stump the Bro yeah, yeah, I know you're all, I know, but Sam, he lost the last one. I'm up three two, so he did. He just apparently couldn't come back uh, for a decisive, or not decisive, but for a game six. I can tell you one thing though. I guarantee a Phil Mickelson victory at the U.S. Open. You this guarantee week. it? I guarantee it. Wow, this is the week. It's happening. I am fired up for it to happen. For I'll be all... done with my game on Sunday. I'll be back in front of the TV. And it'll be an emotional victory for Phil Mickelson and his loyal legion of fans. On Father's, Me included. On Father's Day. Unfortunately, on Fox Sports. Yeah. For golf fans, that's unfortunate. But that will not take away 
from Phil completing the career Grand Slam. It's happening. All right, and uh, good luck to you, Sam, with the Connecticut Tigers as your first game is in, well, it's less than 48 hours away. I'm more fired up about Phil right now. I just got real pumped up for that. All right, and glad you had your priorities (laughs) straight. Uh, So this is going to do it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening, but some big news, folks. Mic drop. Big, big news. Yeah, if you're going to do a mic drop, throw it on that, not the ground, because you already heard Damon Gray on the podcast earlier. Mike Cosentini, for whatever reason, he frankly called me one night and said, I want to be on the Sports Brothers podcast. So I said, all right, bro, you can come on the Sports Brothers podcast. So he's going to be doing that. Uh, If not next week, sometime during the summer, I mean, there's a lot more time left. Kind of. Um, and then also, this is even bigger news. Please sit down if you're not sitting down right now because, drum roll please, the Sports Brothers podcast is going to the newspaper. What I mean by that is that this podcast will have a story in the Plainville Citizen in the sports section within the next couple of weeks. Nate Brown, the sports writer for the Plainville Citizen, he texted Sam. Uh, they both... Went to Springfield College together. They're one year apart, uh, but they're close friends still. And uh, Nate said, hey, can I do a story on the Sports Brothers podcast? And we said, sure. You know, it'll be a great opportunity for us uh, to get some exposure. Uh, and, and I think the piece is going to be kind of sent around two former Plainville athletes uh, turned to sports radio and, and podcasts. So please, please, please tell everyone that you know. Uh, look out for that article. We are very much looking forward to it. Uh, Nate's going to be calling Sam and I tomorrow for a phone interview to get the quotes for the article. So that should be coming up, if not this Thursday, or if if not uh, the, the 24th, then probably the 31st. Not exactly sure when Nate will get it done. But that's very, very good news for us and for the NicoEmpire.com, the website, uh, as Nico will get a little exposure as well. All right, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We are the